perhaps not, and that's okay. The scripture this morning comes from Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. And let us pray. Loving God, anoint us with your Holy Spirit as we hear your word this day. Fill us with your truth that we may walk in the ways of God and to the glory of your realm. Amen. I think I remembered where our litter just went to. We sent her south to cover for Charlene, so it's actually mine. And that's my fault. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry? and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you are accursed. Depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you. Just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Some of us are pretty familiar with that particular passage of scripture and its words of advice for us all. Just as we may also be familiar with the words of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, that reminds us not to neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Both of those scriptures remind us that we are supposed to treat everyone as if Christ himself were before us. Every guest to our church, every person we encounter on our daily errands, every neighbor that lives near our home, each one of them, just like Christ, is a stranger to us only as long as we allow them to be. And the truth is, is that we understand what it is to be the stranger, for we have all been the stranger at one time or another, even to this church. Because we were all invited to this space, whether it was by a parent 
or a spouse or a friend or a pastor or a neighbor or even a complete stranger, someone invited us here. Someone invited us here to this place. Someone took the time to stop and get to know us and to say, come and see. And then even more important than that invitation, once we arrived here, we felt accepted and loved and welcomed and supported and connected. So much so that we made the conscious choice to stay. Because the truth is, if we hadn't felt those things, if there was no acceptance or love or support or connection or welcome in this place for us, we probably would never have returned again. Many of you know that my son Nico is on the autism spectrum as well as having ADHD and an anxiety disorder, sometimes we kid that we're doing the A things. As a consequence, when he was young and his behavior was far from under control, I spent a lot of Sundays at home with him because I was worried that his acting out would be a problem for others. Because Nico's behavior wasn't always church appropriate, he often couldn't remember that he needed to be quiet in worship. If he thought of something to say to me, then he just said it, and sometimes he continued to say it over and over again. So we always chose a seat in the back for an easy escape. The uncontrolled sounds of the many voices in fellowship halls made him anxious and caused him to run around and bounce off people in a way that led me to stay away from coffee hour and potlucks, lest he accidentally knock someone over and hurt them. Unlike many children on the autism spectrum, he wasn't always socially appropriate. Once, when I told him that he needed to leave his beloved stuffed raccoon Chester at home, he stuffed him down his pants, unbeknownst to me, and snuck him into this church. We're sitting right about there. And then after announcing loudly to my mother, as well as to the whole pew and beyond, that Chester was in his pants, he proudly pulled him out of his pants, like a magician might pull a rabbit out of a hat. And although I can tell that story now, and I can laugh with you, I promise you, when it happened, I was mortified beyond belief. And what made a difference to me as a single mother of a child with special needs was the churches that made us feel welcome. The churches who didn't silently sit and watch me struggle to control my son. The ones who included him in programming, even when he didn't do everything as expected. The ones who introduced themselves to me and had a place for Nico in children's church so that I could sit and worship without interruption. The ones who went above and beyond to include us both. It made a difference. We never returned to the church that watched while he ran circles around the sanctuary during worship and I struggled to catch him on the second lap. But we did return to the church in southern Ohio that made sure that I had an opportunity not just to worship, but to participate in the choir by providing a babysitter, and that Nico, too, had a place to belong in the children's Christmas program. And we returned to that church because they made us feel welcome, and they found a place for us, and made us feel like we both belonged. Because that sense of belonging is the difference between being a stranger or being a part of a community. Gizzi points out in our Five Practices book that being the stranger among people who already know one another is unnerving. 
Because when we are the stranger, we don't know the rules of the community. We don't understand the culture around us. And those rules and that culture are different for each and every church. It takes time when we enter a new culture to learn their rules and their history and to become a part of that community, to be accepted and to feel like we belong. For those of us who have been in this particular church community for some time, we have to be reminded every once in a while that we were once strangers. Because it can be easy to forget that in a place where we belong. And that must be why, since Old Testament times, all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy, God was constantly reminding his people that they needed to welcome the stranger by reminding them that they, too, were once strangers, wandering in the desert and searching for a homeland, for a place to belong. And although he repeated it frequently and often, we know that God's people forgot that lesson time and time again. Just think about how many times the disciples got it wrong, wondering why Jesus would talk to this person or that person and trying to warn him away from them. In scripture after scripture, we can see the disciples consistently trying to keep people away from him. Children, women, the sick, the mentally disturbed, the sinful. Yet Jesus just kept receiving them anyway and talking to them, and healing them, and teaching the disciples along the way that whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Instead of stepping away from all of those people that society and their religion told them were unclean and unworthy, Jesus stepped toward them. The blind, the sick, the paralyzed, the grieving, those with unclean spirits, Christ stepped toward them all. And as Scazy points out, Christ didn't wait for people to find him. He searched for and found them and accepted their hospitality while also offering his own. Christ didn't sit passively in the temple waiting for people to come to him. He found them in their homes, on the streets, and at the well. He went and he entered into their lives and then into their hearts. Christ understood people he knew that they needed to know that they were loved and that they were valued. And that showed in how he treated them and in his willingness to be with them wherever they were and whoever they were. We know the same thing about the people in our own communities. We know that they need to be loved and valued, that they want to have lives that matter, that they want to feel that they are not alone, that when trials come, they need to be surrounded by a community of grace, that they don't have to figure out all of life's problems by themselves, that they too can find peace from the conflicts around them, that they can be comforted in their grief, that they can find forgiveness for their faults, that they can find purpose and meaning in their lives, that they too are worthy of hope and grace. And we know all of that because those are all of the same things that we also need. And we come here to this place because we know that we can find all of that in relationship with God and in relationship with each other. Because this is the place and these are the people who helped us discover the grace of God, the love of Christ, and the hope of the Spirit for ourselves. Gazy says that fruitful congregations take the initiative to invite welcome and include newcomers 
and help them grow in faith as they become a part of the body of Christ. They focus on those beyond their congregation with as much passion as they attend to the nurture and growth of those who already feel connected. Fruitful congregations work to connect people to Bible study and programs and ministries and worship and resources that help them to make genuine connections and to find the hope and grace and mercy and love and dignity and peace and forgiveness that they need. We have all of that and more to offer to people. And it starts with a simple invitation to come and see and a willingness to be ready when they do. However, Skazy also points out that Christian hospitality is more than just that invitation. It reveals, as he says, a genuine love for others, an outward focus, a reaching out to those not yet known, a grace that motivates people to openness and adaptability, a willingness to change behaviors, to accommodate the needs, and receive the talents of newcomers. It describes the active desire to invite, welcome, receive, and care for those who are strangers so that they find a spiritual home and discover for themselves the unending richness of life in Christ. In other words, we need to be prepared to make a place for and then to nurture the newcomers among us. Just as we would not bring a new plant into our garden without making space for it, without giving it the soil and water that it needs to survive, we can't expect our newcomers to thrive if we aren't being radically hospitable to them. After all, as Skazy points out, it is Christ's welcome, not merely our own, that we offer others. Our hospitality is our opportunity to see the hungry and to give them something to eat. To find the thirsty and give them something to drink, to acknowledge the stranger and to invite them in. To recognize those without clothes and give them something to wear. To hear the cry of the sick and look after them. And to identify with those in prison and visit them. Whether their hunger and thirst is real or metaphorical. Whether their need is tangible or imperceptible. Whether their illness or their prison is physical or mental or emotional or spiritual, this is our opportunity to see the Christ in them and to introduce them to the Christ in us. And that starts here. Here in these pews and in this building, it's in all the little things that we do. It's in the signs that invite and show people where to go and the accessibility of our buildings to those with differing needs. In the ways that we greet and welcome people and how we choose to make children feel valued, and in all the big and small ways that we encourage people and make sure they understand that they belong here in this place. It says in this book that the church is the presence of Christ in the world, the means by which God knits us into community in order to transform our lives and the lives of those around us. But in order for this place to transform people, we have to either invite them here or, like Christ, we have to go to them. Because we all know the reality. On average, in America, 40 to 60% of those in our communities have no relationship to a church at all. And 80% of folks are not in worship with us on Sunday morning. And that is a lot of people, my friends, who aren't being transformed by the gospel. 
And we know that transformation and our welcoming spirit must go well beyond the hour a week that we gather together for worship. For when we leave here, we are called to live out our hospitality all week long wherever we encounter our neighbors. We are meant to live in community, not just in this place, but with others outside of these walls. Because just as Jesus went out and found the people where they were, we need to go out and engage people where they are, rather than just expecting and hoping for them to randomly come to us. And though it is much easier to welcome the stranger than to become the stranger, by going out to where the people are, Christ is calling us once again to step outside of our comfort zone. The good news is that often our ordinary, everyday lives are the very thing that God is using to call others to Christ. That trip to the grocery store or the post office or the basketball game might be the very place where we are being called to be in community with others and given the opportunity to help transform their lives. Because the people that we encounter there, those are the people. Those are the 40 to 60% who don't have a connection to a church and the 80% who are not in worship with us this morning. And those are the people who are in need of the very things that Christ has to offer them. And sometimes those people are going to be the ones that society tells us are unclean and unworthy, like, but like Christ, we are going to have to step towards them. And sometimes like Christ, we are going to have to go beyond our everyday places in order to find them. And sometimes, like Christ, we will have to accept their hospitality first. And every time, like Christ, we are going to have to enter into their lives and their hearts if we are ever going to get the opportunity to tell them who Christ is. Radical hospitality changes people. It changes the people we encounter because it gives them the opportunity to know Christ. But it will change us, too. It will change us as a church community because it will expand our ministry and breathe new life into our churches as new people, each with their own unique gifts and graces, become a part of us. And it will change us as a people, just like extravagant generosity changes us by refocusing our hearts on what we have versus what we do not and then prompting us to share our blessings. Radical hospitality rescues us from being preoccupied with ourselves and reorients us to focus on the needs of our neighbors and to transform the world on behalf of our Savior. Some of you know that the founder of Methodism, John Wesley, was a radically hospitable kind of guy. Instead of preaching just in the church, he went out into the fields and the open places and he preached to people that the rest of society chose to ignore. Coal miners, field laborers, factory workers, and prisoners... He and his brother Charles were known for jumping into the wagons as they headed to the gallows and trying to save souls before they met their untimely end. But Wesley just didn't invite them into a relationship with God. He formed ministries that supported and encouraged them. And he taught them about God's provenient grace, the grace that goes before us that invites us into relationship with God over and over again, the grace that invites us to continuously move closer and closer to him through that faith development that Pastor Charlene has talked about. The same grace which works through us to offer a relationship with God to others 
and the same grace which we celebrate in the sacraments of baptism and communion, each of which are ways that we as the church celebrate and accept God's invitation of radical hospitality to us. His invitation to be his beloved child. His invitation to come to the table that he has prepared for us. One of the things I love about the United Methodist Church is that we practice radical hospitality by having an open communion table, which means that everyone is invited to come and share in God's grace. There are no requirements and no restrictions. Anyone who believes in him is invited to share in his grace. Because that's how God's grace works. That's how his radical hospitality is for us, the stranger. And so as we encounter the stranger this week and in the weeks beyond, let us be reminded of God's words to the Hebrew people and to us to welcome the stranger, for we too were once strangers. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we accept your invitation of grace and hospitality to us, let us not forget that you have called us to show that same hospitality and grace to others and to invite them into a relationship with you. Amen. Our responsive hymn this morning is number 558, We Are the Church. <laughs>